From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 410. This show is brought to you by our fine sponsors, Sourcegraph, Clean My Mac X, and Bombas. My name is Mike Hurley, and I would usually be introducing Federico Vitici to the podcast at this moment, but Federico is away today for it is his birthday, so I will now hop over Federico, I'll do the old Italian hop, as they call it, and introduce Stephen Hackett to the podcast. Hello. How are you? Not. It's not my birthday. Not yet. You got a long time, but it will be eventually. I think we should um, send Federico a present. Okay. What I, what I would like the connected listeners to do mm-hmm. is to open Twitter, send Federico a tweet with your fourth most used emoji. Okay. So I'm going to do this now. So I've got my phone. I'm going to open TweetBot. I'm going to... Fourth in what direction? Okay. So let me... Vitici. So I'm on the emoji keyboard. So under the frequently used, I think it is uh, down. So one, two, three, four down. Oh, no. I'm sending him a sad emoji. Oh, no. Well. Mine is the melting face one. (laughs) He's going to think something bad's happened. I've sent Federico the melting face emoji. So I sent him, like, the disappointed one. Mm. You know? I think that's what it's called. Yeah, I think so. Oh, poor Federico. So we'll see what people send him. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that. We have some follow-up. We've heard from a lot of folks with the will, will, may, may type autocorrects, basically any word that's also Ah. a name. iOS wants to Mm -hmm. capitalize this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And a bunch of feedback was like, I had not noticed this before. Thank you for ruining my phone. Sorry about that. Uh Uh-huh. It's not our fault. It's differential privacy. It's still happening to me. Oh, yeah. Mine is a real mess. It's very upsetting. Maybe one day it will stop. And I'm not. Uh, I'm not expecting that it will. We also heard from quite a few people uh, following up on Apple weather. You know, Federico had commented that it it doesn't seem super accurate where he is in Rome, and a bunch of people outside the U.S. have basically said the same thing that uh, Apple weather is incorrect a good bit of the time, especially when compared with a weather service that is more local to them. We heard from several people in Australia where this is true, where they're Weather services that are, I guess, more finely tuned to what they what they experience compa- mm-hmm. uh, compared to Apple Weather, which is trying to do it uh, around the world, and and uh, hopefully this is just growing pains. I mean, a lot of this data is available that Apple could could buy access to and and bring it into their own algorithms and what is building the forecast data and the the rain data for Apple Weather. But if it is truly abysmal outside of a few select countries, then it's going to be, uh, I think, a rough start for this new service. I have a thought about this. Are we potentially going to be getting ourselves into an Apple Maps kind of situation? Do you think weather is important enough? You remember the whole like iOS 6 yeah. Apple Maps disaster? I, I mean... What do you think? I think it's a little bit different because there are so many other options for weather and with maps basically they they were booting google maps out of the default slot so i don't know i mean i think people will be upset especially because in the stock weather app you can't change the uh or the data source like you can in carrot Uh weather and a bunch of other like nice third-party weather apps so it may actually be good for those other weather apps that are more locally focused than uh than Apple's own. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how this shakes out over the fall as more people get access to it. I haven't spent a ton of time 
using the Apple Weather app because I just don't need it. Uh, but like looking at it right now, like it seems pretty comparable to to Carrot Weather. And in Carrot Weather, I use dark skies, so mm-hmm. I would expect there's at least some kind of data sharing going on there. I think even if it was su- super bad, I don't think it would be as much of an issue uh, as Apple Maps was. Like I would say that the Apple or like the Maps app on the phone is much more uh, important than a weather app. You know, mm-hmm. like just the situations that it can find you in and the like the bad things it can drop you into. You know, like if you're being directed to the wrong place, if you get yourself into a dangerous situation because the turn by turn's not good enough, if like you lose where you are in the street because you're not getting good street direct like it's very different to like Yeah. It's twenty five degrees today rather than twenty degrees or like the it's raining now and I didn't know it was gonna rain. You know, like th- those things I don't think are as important, but Hey, we'll see. Yeah, I think that's all fair. I do think the weather app is a lot nicer in iOS 16. Like, I'm not going to be switching away from Carrot Weather. It has a lot of features that I really like. But it is way nicer and and bringing a lot of information that people just didn't have access to before if they were just using the stock app. Uh, I also really like the weather wallpapers they have. And it's one that I wish Mm. I could set just the home screen to the weather and use my own lock screen but apple doesn't let you do that the weather ones are married together but i would totally use like the weather wallpaper just behind my home screen all the time oh you can use that as a as a home screen thing i had only i just assumed it was lock screen only i i hadn't i hadn't tried that you can you can't use it independently just on the home screen it's right lock screen or both that's very strange isn't it yeah because i think it'd be cool to have that behind your icons all the time especially when it's like stormy and stuff it's very exciting yeah i haven't i haven't really played around with that yet but I, i'm just looking now like when i wonder they changed it but I, I don't know it doesn't look like it was one of the options mm-hmm. no it just lets you choose photos which is strange zach points out that we are 10 years from the launch of apple maps wow that makes me feel time. old because <laughs> we we talked about it on the prompt i'm sure uh, were we? 10 years ago? Yeah. No, we started the prompt nine years ago. So we didn't. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. That kind of time frame. Yeah, we, the prompt was June 19th, 2013. Okay. And that was, yeah, because we launched the summer of iOS 7. Because a lot of those early shows, we talked about iOS 7 a lot. Yeah, man. Summer of iOS 7. That was a good time. <laughs> Unless you put it on your carry phone. No, it was a, it was a great time. It, it was, was a great time. It was. It was fun. Remember how thin that text was? It was unusable. <laughs> it was great. Helvetica Neue. Yeah, ultra, ultra, ultra light. <laughs> no. It's like if, if a hair, you know, like fell on your phone screen. Like, is that a letter? Is that a hair? I mean, John, Johnny knew what he was doing. We just couldn't appreciate his brilliance. It's true. And now he's gone. Now he's gone. I want to update you on some sleep tracking stuff. Okay. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, mm-hmm. about Apple's built-in sleep tracking and sort of all the other features they tie to it, like bedtime and wind down and all those things. And we talked about using the watch for sleep tracking and... 
for the last two weeks, I've been doing it. So since we talked about this, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a real run at at tracking with the watch. I'm doing the thing where I charge the watch every morning as I like get a shower and like get ready and then charge it for a little while at night, usually about dinner time. And that's been no problem. Like I've got the Series 7. The battery life is totally good enough with just like a, a little bit of charging. Uh, you're good to go. And I don't even have it plugged into something that can fast charge it. You know, the, the current watches can fast charge with a larger power brick. I forget the exact details, but mine is just plugged into like a multi USB thing that it's been plugged into forever behind my bed. And uh, that's totally been fine. I've not had any days where I've all of a sudden at like 4 p.m. hit the low battery thing, right? So I've been able to manage that really well. But I decided to give Apple's sleep tracking uh, a shot. Now, I am using iOS 16 and watchOS 9, so some of these details may be a little bit different in the public releases. I'm just not sure because I didn't really use them a lot or at all, really, previously to this. So if some of this is a little bit different on your phone, it may just be because I'm on the beta. But I've been able to uh, to set Apple sleep tracking up in a way that doesn't drive me uh, bananas. And there are actually some real upsides to using uh, their system. So Mm -hmm. at first you have the schedule and I know that for you and Federico in particular, probably him more so than you, that's just kind of like a problematic thing because of your schedules and where you work and where you live and all those things. But for me, I've been able to basically set two schedules, one for, uh, the weekday and then one for the weekend. And so during the week, Mm Every day is basically the same, especially now that school's back in. I'm getting up, getting kids to school, all that stuff. And then on weekends, I don't want to sleep late usually, and so I can I still have a schedule set for that. What is nice about these schedules is you can you can customize basically how it works. And so if you're in the the alarm tab of the clock app, it shows up there, and you can tell it basically change the the next time the phone is going to wake you up. And so say that it's Friday evening and I want to sleep in Saturday past past my weekend alarm, I can change that wake up just for the next day. You do adjust that little wheel, right? Yeah, the the UI is strange. Adina does all of this. She listens to the show and she's like, look, I do all of this. And I'm like, I know, but like I know who I am as a person, and I, for me to feel comfortable that I'm going to wake up the next day, I have to set seven alarms. Yeah, so I do I do still have like a backup alarm like three minutes later, and I've always done that. I've always had like two alarms back to back. But it's it's not as intrusive as it seems because you can you have options to turn off uh, wind down and the sleep reminders, and those were things that sort of the nagging of it always bothered me. I, I never cared for the wind down, and it can do a bunch of different things. Like I think wind down can like set your like the screen brightness and some other stuff. Yeah, I, I actually do use those features. Interesting. See, because you don't need to have an alarm in the morning for that. I have the wind down stuff all set up now on a sleep focus kind of thing yeah. attached to it. Okay. And it like it does this weird thing with the color of your screen. Like notification center goes really weird, almost like negative looking. It's, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not using uh, wind down for anything, uh, but... I am using a custom lock screen for my sleep mode, my sleep focus. So I have sleep focus turned on now. It's tied to the sleep thing in health, which is really weird. Like I feel like sleep because it it traverses these different features, right? It's a focus mode. 
it's also in health. Like it's just kind of Are weird to set it? up. <laughs> it's a focus mode. It's a health app. Are you it's getting a, it? You know, it's an alarm system. <laughs> this isn't just one. Yeah. So I really just changed the lock screen to have some more like nighttime based things. So like sunrise, mm-hmm. the next alarm set, uh, Apple Watch battery level, just in case I missed uh, messed up charging. And I. Sh- well, that's interesting. And I should say, uh, backing up to the battery thing for a second, you can set an option to have notifications about battery charging. So it will remind you if you haven't charged it before bed and it thinks it's going to not make it. And if it's on charging, it will tell you when the watch reaches 100%. So you could grab it off the nightstand. You know, maybe you're still got a stand ring or something to close. So that's all pretty nice. Um, So all in all, this actually has worked for me a lot better than I thought it would. I still think the setup is really too fiddly and there's kind of like a lot of stuff going on. But if you spend some time dialing back the options exactly the way you want them, uh, you can, I think you can get this to, to a pretty usable state. Now, if I'm out and about late past the bedtime I've set, then yeah, my phone's going to go into the sleep focus mode, but it would do that if that was set on a schedule anyways. And it's very easy to mm. undo that and say, no, no, I'm I'm not, I'm not in bed yet, and I'm using Sleep Plus Plus as a third-party app by our friend Underscore to look at all the data. It's on the health app, too. I tried AutoSleep, and AutoSleep is beautiful, but ultimately overwhelming to me. It's like, I don't need this fine-grained of information. I kind of just want to know, like, okay, what time was I in bed? What percentage of that was I awake or deep sleep? That sort of thing. And um, again, auto sleep is really nice, and you should definitely check it out if you're if you're looking into this. But for me, Sleep Plus Plus being much simpler worked better for me. And so I've been doing this for a couple of weeks, and I don't know if I've like really learned anything except that I actually I think I sleep a little better than I thought I did. Maybe it's it's interesting day to have, and it's been interesting to set it up and see how it all works together on iOS now. So I haven't done this underscore developer of Sleep Plus Plus. He uh, said that strangely. Plus Plus, he should call it that. Sleep Plus Plus. Uh, he texted me. and was like, you just got to do it. And I was like, ah. my issue, here's the thing I can't get over. I don't want to sleep with my watch on. I don't want to do it. I need to get over it. I think it's too hot in the UK right now. And so like, I don't want to sleep. Maybe once it cools down a bit over here. I might try it, but right now the idea of wearing my watch to sleep just I don't like the thought of that at all. That's that's taking some getting used to, and I'm using the sport whatever the one with the Velcro in it is. I forget all their names. Sport loop. Sport loop. Sport yeah. loop. And changing out the watch band is is kind of annoying doing it twice a day. So I've just been wearing the sport loop just all the time. And it's fine. Uh it gets very sweaty if you work out in it, but that is pretty comfortable to sleep in. I wouldn't want to sleep in something more I guess more rigid, like some of the rubbery ones, but that definitely takes some getting used to. And the first couple of nights I was very aware of it. Like anytime I turned over, I felt like I had this huge weight on my wrist. Like, Oh, let me bring my watch over here. Mm. But even in a couple of weeks that that's faded. I need to, but like I'm, at the moment I'm trying to also get used to falling asleep with AirPods in. So like, you know, I'm doing that by the way, a lot going on. on that I'm using original AirPods, not AirPods pro to sleep in. Oh, good. Because it's more comfortable. And also like, I know this could be an issue. Like having earphones that go in your ears is not good for like really long time periods. So I've gone with the original AirPods because they also fall out 
when I when I actually fall asleep, right? Like I like move my head or whatever when I'm sleeping. I always wake up and they're just like in the bed, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it, we had like a pair of AirPods two in the house that no one was using, so I've now taken those and they are now my uh, sleeping headphones. Do you have trouble like finding them the next morning? Like they get lost? They're usually just around. They're usually like underneath me somewhere, uh, and it and it works fine. I, I was going to suggest you could like tie a little thing between them, and then I realized that's a a terrible idea. That's that's a quick way to choke yourself, you know. I was thinking that maybe I wanted to get the new AirPods because the problem with the original AirPods is the stem is really large and it presses on my ear. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking maybe I want just the newer ones. They're the ones you use? No, you use AirPods too, right? I do. With the big, the big silly looking ones now to me. They, yeah, they they stick out like a mile. They look ridiculous now because the, the they look like I look like I could put like I could hold them in my fist. <laughs> That's kind of. That's kind of how it feels to me. Wolverine for AirPods. Okay, well, I'm happy this. See, am I happy to hear that sleep tracking is good for you? I don't know, because that makes you feel like I've got to do it. Uh, I think you should at some point, but I mean, you should. The the wearing the watch it, it was is a big thing. And so if that's going to be uncomfortable, wait till it cools down. I'll try it. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Sourcegraph. So you've hired a brilliant new developer. That's awesome, but now you have to get them onboarded. If your company is growing, onboarding new developers is going to become a common occurrence, and it's a big undertaking each time. One of the biggest challenges for new hires is to get up to speed with the projects their new team is already working on. This can be tricky if the code bases your developers are working in are already large. Thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move quickly even in big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is the most useful when it's findable. Centralization is helpful, but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in at least two different locations, how do you make knowledge accessible to those who need it? Sourcegraph is a code intelligence platform, and it gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations. Teams without Sourcegraph rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation, and those things are cumbersome and time-consuming. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and everyone else. So when questions do come up, you know it's the big stuff that's worth the extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier, and today they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of five of the top tech companies. Plus, companies like PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, Atlassian, and more. Visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more. That's about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph and to see what it can do for yours. Check out the link in the show notes to let them know that you heard about them from us. Our thanks to Sourcegraph for their support of Connected and Relay FM. I want to go back in time a little bit okay. to 2010. The The iPad is new. It's announced. Maybe you got one, but you need to do some real work on it. You know, you, you, you don't want to be consuming content. You'll be making content. And Apple has just the accessory for you, a $69 nice keyboard dock accessory for the iPad. Do you remember this thing? Of course I remember it. So I bought one for reasons for the calendar okay and i sent you all a photo of it and you're like yeah i had one and i had uh-huh. totally forgotten about this that, that i'd forgotten that it existed and then i forgot that you owned one so will you give us a uh you know 
a 12 years in review of the keyboard dock? You think I still have it? I mean, no, but you know, you could give, give us the reason you got it. Maybe. Well, okay. So let's just roll back in time. I mean, there are a couple of reasons. I mean, the main reason I got it was because I wanted an, I wanted all the accessories for my iPad. You know what I mean? Like, I was just excited about the iPad and I wanted accessories for it. In the same way that I nearly bought the, uh, when I got my original iPhone, I nearly bought the hands-free thing. Oh, yeah. You know? I think it was bad. And the only reason I didn't buy it was because Coffin Warehouse's uh, system went down and they were only taking, they couldn't take card payments because too many people were trying to buy phones at the same time. And it was the first time that had ever happened. And they weren't prepared for that. And so I had to pay cash and I could only get out enough cash from the ATM machine to pay for the iPhone. So I didn't get the hands-free set. But I did get the keyboard dock. And for me, it was just like, well, this seems like a good idea, right? Like, this is the perfect like screen to write on. You know, maybe I, I think back then I fancied that I could maybe be an Apple blogger. You know, I tried that uh, a few times. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, this is the perfect minimal writing machine. You know, that's what yeah. all the cool kids wanted. They wanted minimal writing machines, you know, distraction free writing environments, all that kind of, <laughs> all those kind of buzzwords. And I thought, I, I need one of those. And so I bought the keyboard dock. And what I ended up actually using it for, and then I later on kept this going with other products. So, like, as I moved to probably some form of lightning-based iPad as well. I would get like a magic keyboard and put it in front and have a little stand. I used to use this for my podcast notes Hmm. uh, back in the day. So I would be recording on a Mac and I never wanted to touch the Mac in case I somehow messed up something with the recording. And I was also, I think, at that time using an 11-inch MacBook Air. So I was terrified of that machine being able to cope with anything I was trying to throw at it at that time. So I would take all of my notes uh, in Markdown uh, in some app of some description uh, using the using a keyboard attached to an iPad. And so I would just be taking my notes and they would just be copy and pasted into a Squarespace field and that was good to go, you know? Yeah, I never used one in the time period, I don't think. I mean, I had an original iPad mm-hmm. and... I used it with, a, a, you know, like Apple's Bluetooth keyboard at the time. Eventually, when our, our friends, Tom and Dan, they had their foldy iPad keyboard thing. What was that thing called? The Canopy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Used one of those for a long time. And then, of course, now, you know, Apple's got a, a wide range of them. And I use some third-party keyboards over, over the years, too. But it was it's been kind of fun to have this thing around. Like, you put your iPad in it. The iPad is in portrait mode because the 30 pin dot connector was on the short side like the lightning or USB-C it port also is makes sense for what it's yeah. to be used for mm-hmm. and and Apple with that original iPad launched iWork for the iPad and so you had pages and keynote and numbers and they were like 10 bucks uh-huh. a piece I think but yeah you could you know open up pages or some other you know document Evernote or or you know whatever you were doing and and type away. So it's kind of been fun to to have one around this week. And uh, I mean, it is literally just a keyboard with like a piece of plastic on it. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. Like it's how simple it is. But I think a lot of people probably got a lot of typing done on this, on that thing. I was, it's kind of funny, really. I was going to ask, do you have an iPad that this works on? And then realized who I'm asking. Yeah. I got a couple of original iPads. They are heavy 
and thick. So have you actually been doing a bunch of writing for one of these things? I wish. Yeah. I should oh. I should have it up to the side, you know, for my for my notes. Man. So you had an eleven inch MacBook Air mm-hmm. and this. This would have been bigger mm-hmm. on the desk than that little laptop. Probably. I love it. The original iPad. Yeah. Yeah. Of its weird back curved sides. Uh, I'm going to just do it again because I can't stop. I'm nearly done with the After Steve book, so I'm not going to have any more stories to tell from it. But one of the things that was interesting in 2015, apparently Apple's design team completely redesigned the iPad, but it was deemed too expensive. And so the design was shelved, right? Like this was one of the things that I spoke about. And I've been fascinated to try and understand what that iPad was. I wonder if it's, it was the flat side we got three years later. The way that it's told in the book seems to suggest that it was a design that never came hmm. because it talks about making the iPad like significantly lighter. Hmm. I wonder if they were they were going to make it out of a different material. Maybe. Maybe we're about to find out. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, maybe in October. Well, because they haven't, they haven't redesigned that iPad, right? Yeah, the original. It's still the original iPad is still, still, it's still doing its thing. Yeah, it's very much like the uh, that the current design of like the regular, not no adjective iPad is basically the iPad Air. It's that sort Mm -hmm. of feel, and that's that was a long time ago. I mean, Mm -hmm. the iPad Air was what twenty thirteen or fourteen, sometime in there. Mm -hmm. It's been a minute. We should talk about iOS sixteen beta five. This okay. dropped on Monday, which was fun. I was I was expecting beta five this week, but I kind of thought, oh, it'll be Tuesday or Wednesday. And then I pick up my phone on a Monday and there's a text from John is like, hey, beta five is out. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it's Monday. The big change here uh, on the iPhone, at least, is you can now put the battery percentage, uh, make that visible all the time on a phone with face ID. So with the iPhone 10, you get the battery indicator on the right-hand side, but the percentage was only available uh, when you swiped down into Control Center, and it's been that way ever since. And back in the day, I had the battery percentage, but with the iPhone 10 and later, I just got used to not having it. But now you can turn it back on, and there's a couple of interesting design decisions, I think. The numbers are pretty big within the little glyph of the battery, and the background stays as if the battery were perfectly fully charged. When you go to low power mode, it turns yellow. And then if you're 10% or below, it turns red, which is... Is it 10%? It doesn't go at a 20? Isn't 20% the low battery warning? No, but if you don't have low power mode on, it oh, will be Oh, and maybe 10%, yeah. Yes. Low power mode makes it yellow. Sorry, I misspoke. Um, so it's twenty at 20%, it will go red unless you turn on your low power mode. I think so. That would be that would be consistent with how it is now, and that is what people yeah. are not telling us in the Discord. I think the design is fine. I, there there were a couple of things on Twitter floating around. We'll have them in the show notes of people who sort of designed it, thinking you know, redesigned it, thinking that oh, it should also show like the battery, the the range, you know, should the the fill of the battery should actually get smaller as the number goes down. But I feel like the number does that for you, and it is most legible with a solid background. So they, yes. they, I guess they didn't think they needed to do that. But I, th- I thought it was interesting that people responded so strongly to this design. 
I have not seen a concept that I thought looked better than what Apple's come up with. And like, I'm I'm not one to usually say this kind of stuff because I think it can be a bit tiresome. But I think this is one of those situations where like they thought through every option and they've given the one that is the clearest, most legible. Like, I can't imagine Apple's industrial, uh, Apple software design team were like, hey, we did this in one. Right, like our first idea here was the perfect one. Well, let's not change it. <laughs> like I imagine that they went through all of these. Like, what would it be like if it changed color? What would it be like if it was uh, going the whole way down? Like all these kinds of and like the whole. No, I, I just think it's like they just did it this way. Because I also think for Apple, they've been pretty clear. I think in in with the way that the battery stuff has worked for the last few years, like twenty to eighty, it's just whatever. When it gets yeah. to 20, you're in a problem. Mm-hmm. And like, that's how they're showing it to you right now. So like when it gets down low, that's when it shook. When it, that, when you're below 20, that's when it gets the little sliver. I think the rest of the time, it's just like, whatever, just show me the number. Like I don't need to see an accurate percentage fill of the battery. And like, I don't, there is no utility in that at all for me. Like the number, as you said, the number shows the thing. And it starts to become messy. Like for a big chunk of the time, you would have like half of the number or a part of the number is a different color to the other part of the number. Yeah. Right? I think that'd be really distracting having yeah, that th- change I, all yes. the time. And so I think this is just the best option because they, 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 sh- they change the graphic when you go below 20, right? And they show it as the little sliver. Well, because then it's, the, it's gone past the number. Yeah right so like if you had it like anywhere from like 80 percent all the way down to 20 percent there's just going to be a gradient of like what then what part of the number is in a different uh, this is cleaner this Mm -hmm. i think they went with the right with the right option here yeah I, i do too what do you think overall about the return of of this i mean did you use it in the pre face id phones yes and are you using it now in the beta? Yeah, I mean, it, it turned on on its own. Yeah, it did, which I thought was interesting. And I've just left it on. I mean, it's fine. Like, now I have the percentage. Because I would quite frequently want to check the percentage of my battery. So I yeah. pull down from Control Center, and now I don't need to do that. I think there's a reason they've decided to do it now, but I'm not sure what that reason is. I expect it's related to the iPhone 14 Pro, but I don't know how, mm. right? Like... Is this something to do with the always-on display, or is this something to do with the notchless phone design? Like, I think it's one of those things. Like, I don't think that this is they just like all of a sudden someone's like, "Oh my gosh, we forgot to put the percentage the whole time." Like years, we forgot to put the percentage <laughs> yeah, there, right? Since like twenty seventeen or whatever. Exactly, and and it's not like there's been a, a a crusade over the last six months to bring this back, like. People have wanted this for ages and people were really upset when it went away. And I feel like I haven't heard anybody talk about this in a long time. So I expect it's related to the iPhone 14 Pro, which is supposed to get both of those features. But I'm just not sure how yet. I've got it on for now. Casey tweeted something really interesting that it just adds stress. And like I... I get that. And I think actually he's like mostly right. I, I don't know if I'll keep it on forever. Right now I have it on because again, just my experience in the betas has been is the battery life's pretty bad still. And I want, I find myself keeping a closer eye on my phone battery this summer than I have in a long time. 
And mm-hmm. so I've got it on for now. We'll see if it if it stays on long term. I don't believe this, but if Casey was here on this show with me right now, the thing that I would do, because I like to make fun of Casey likes to, to, to poke fun at me. I like to poke fun at Casey, right? What I would say is, buddy, if that's one of the biggest stresses in your life, I want your life. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, I, of all the things in my life that I could get stressed about, seeing the number of the percentage of my battery is not one of them. Yeah. But I do understand where he's coming from of like, if this is something you see and you're like, oh man, I need to charge your phone. Like you most, like 90% of the time you actually don't need to charge your phone. Like your phone's going to be fine. Like, like you, you can get, these phones have such big batteries now. Uh, you're probably good. But like, I do wonder like, so if you don't see the percentage, do you just never stress about your battery life? Like, I don't know which one is the right way around. But I will say, if you look at a number and you're like, oh man, I need to charge my phone. You should probably turn the feature off because you are thinking about it too much. For me now, it's just like, honestly, I look at my phone. For me, I'm getting the, the pleasure of like, man, the battery life on this phone is good because I just, at the end, I come to the end of the day and I'm still in double digit percentage numbers. I'm like, yeah. He did put hot take with fire emoji, so take that with a grain of salt, I guess. And he also turned off replies. Like he knew, I, I was actually pretty proud of him in this moment that Casey turned replies off to that tweet. I was like, he's learning, you know? This option is not available on the mini phones, I guess, because of the the size that it takes That's up. That's because the battery's so bad. <laughs> 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 they don't want people knowing because you just you turn the screen on of an iPhone mini and you just watch it start ticking down. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> one feature I really am glad they've added is a copy and delete option when dealing with screenshots. So we've all done this thousand times take a screenshot on your phone you don't want to save it you're going to copy it out to iMessage or something and there's there is a share sheet option uh in that screenshot ui but very often i would just copy it because it's just quicker to go into discord or slack or wherever and paste it in but now there's an option for copy and delete so it puts it on your clipboard but it does not save the screenshot to photos and This like perfectly fits with the way that I use this feature. I'm sure yep. Apple, when they designed it, it was, oh, people just use the share sheet, but then I got a bunch of screenshots to contend with. This is so good, and my hat is mm-hmm. off to whoever got it in here. Yep, this is exactly one of those things where this is just, this feature is made by somebody who uses this feature, right? This is exactly what this t- tells you. If you're looking for this, by the way, because I was confused, it's under the done button. So you take the screenshot, you press done, and then you get save to photos, save to quick notes, save to files, copy and delete, delete screenshot. So you've got to copy and delete, and then it immediately puts it on your clipboard and it just deletes and then also therefore gets rid of the um, the, the thing, like the, the, the UI. So that's why for me, even if I was going to put it in the share sheet, this is faster because then I still have to press done and then delete mm-hmm. or like press the trash can or whatever. So this is actually quicker because most of the time for me, if I'm sending somebody a screenshot, I also then have something to tell them. So like and if I'm putting it in Slack, for me, like Slack's whole thing is not awesome. The, 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 the what do you call it? The share sheet thing. Yeah. So I would prefer to take a screenshot, copy it, and now do the copy and delete, then paste it into Slack, add my text and send it all in once. Right. Mm-hmm. So that feels like good Slack etiquette rather than like, 
sending a screenshot and then following up with the text. So like somebody gets the notification, they open it, it's just a screenshot. It's like, oh God, what's wrong with this? Yeah. You know, Stephen is typing. It's like, I don't know what did I do now. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hello. Yeah. I, we, I think I've said this before. Stephen is very bad with this. You know, like when people say like, hey, I need to talk to you or hi, I've got something to say. Stephen does this. He's one of those people. He's like, hi, I need to tell you something. Send. And then starts writing the rest of it. Not good. That's toxic. That's a toxic. That's your toxic trait, <laughs> right? That's your that's your toxic trait. Is that? I was listening to uh, the Waveform podcast this weekend. Yeah, this is what made me think of it. Marquez was like, "I use different calendar and task apps sometimes." It's like, dude, that's not a toxic trait. That's just being a nerd. Like, yeah, he I, I, and he talked about remember the milk, which made me happy. Oh my god, yeah. See, where he was coming from was good initially, right? Which is the idea of people who set alarms as tasks. Yeah. Right? That's a toxic trait. That's my mother-in-law. Using different apps is not a toxic trait no. at all. No. Uh, well, maybe it is, but I do it too, so I'm going to say it isn't. Yeah. But yeah, using alarms as tasks, manage, task management is mm. is an abomination. Yeah. Using do as a task manager is bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> alarms is another step further. Yeah, I'm not using do. I've got my medications in the health app. I, I, I use do for a bunch of things, but I don't use it as like task management. It's right. like, it's simple like take out the trash or yes, pay the light bill. That's a task. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'm not like prepare for connected. Is mm, it? Right. <laughs> I am. I am also, by the way, here again, burning Casey. Wait, does he use do as his task manager? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like. He don't have as much going on as we do. I mean, we've what he's got like he's got a do thing that says worry about your battery. You know what I mean? That's as much as he's think got going think on. about running Ethernet in my house. <laughs> Wash the car. Check the garage door. Check the garage door. Yeah, that's right. You know, all the all the big Casey tasks. Hug my hug my uh, Synology. Be one of the best human beings on the planet. You know, like all the typical I do Casey love tasks. Him. So do I. So, but I also love to make fun of him. Yeah. You know, that's true love, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about this playing live visualizer business on yeah, the amazing. screen? Is it? Oh, I love it. Oh, it's it's so, so useless. But that's why it's so good. Come on. Don't you remember good Apple, whimsical Apple? Come on. Okay. So can you explain what this is for people? On the now playing live activity, because it's a live activity now, the now playing screen, in the top right hand corner, there's now just a little visualizer, which is live and accurate-ish, to the audio that's playing. Why not have it there? It's fun. What I actually do think there is utility to it, which is it shows you some audio is playing, which and I tell you where that's useful. You've got your AirPods in, and it hasn't connected. <laughs> yeah. And you can now see that there's audio playing somewhere, but maybe it's not where you want it to be. I like it. I just think it's nice. It could be useful, maybe, but I just like the way it looks. I think it's like a fun little thing to have. I'm not sure that it's worth the space. What else is going to be there? Nothing else is there. Yeah, that's fine. We can have white space. But why? When you can put a fun little feature there. Or you can make the text a little wider so you can see more of your song title. Ah, who needs that? It will scroll. You'll get it eventually. Yeah. I, I do like on this lock screen, now playing UI... In the bottom right, you have like the AirPlay option. And if you're connected to CarPlay, it shows the CarPlay icon. Like it is useful to see where audio is going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because the problem is the AirPods Pro SF symbol is weird looking. 
and that's what they replace it with, and I believe is an SF symbol. It looks very strange. I mean, it's a good it's a good use for that. It looks like Birdo from Mario Two. <laughs> And I'm not the first person to say this because I think people compared the AirPods Pro to Birdo initially. But this, the the little symbol looks a lot like Birdo and it's very weird. So that's what I had to say on the matter. Talking about betas, got beta 5. You know, we're talking about iOS. Uh, how is the beta on the Mac? Basically, mostly unchanged. Stage manager is fine. It's not buggy like it is on the iPad. Okay. Setting the settings app is still garbage and weirdly broken and hard to use. But you know, compatibility wise, I haven't had any issues. I'm, I'm running it on my notebook and like it's it's been fine. The battery life is fine. I do have this issue, and I don't know what beta it is. I tend to blame Ventura, but I don't really have a reason for that. But like my Safari bookmarks get scrambled, like all out of order. It's like three times a day. Like I'll be sitting on my working on my Mac studio, which is running Monterey. And all of a sudden my bookmark folders are in a wrong order. And that's a little frustrating, Mm. but you know, that's iCloud and beta. Like if that's the worst that happens, honestly, I'm doing okay. I am still very, um, excited about using stage manager on the Mac. I think it makes more sense on the Mac than the iPad just because you have more space. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that's different if you're using a 13 inch iPad pro, but I don't, I haven't had one of those in a long time and I haven't used the beta on one of those. So using a beta on like a, you know, an 11 inch, you know, iPad pro or air the, the couple of times I've gotten to play with it, it just feels a bit cramped. I don't know. I'm not using it. Like it, it doesn't really jive with the way that I work, but it's fine. I, I just like, I find myself like I'm using my Mac and I have so many apps open and I'm like, ah, I think I would like to have these in stage manager rather than having like six spaces. I don't yeah. want six spaces. I don't. I really. I don't want to use spaces at all anymore. Now that Stage Manager is a thing that exists, so I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. This episode of Connected is made possible by Clean My Mac X. You want to make sure that you can trust your Mac. It's a crucial tool for work, education, and life. Mac is on a mission to help machines help you, which is why they developed Clean My Mac X, the ideal decluttering app for the Mac that can help keep it in tip-top shape. Clean My Mac X includes 49 tools to find and delete invisible computer junk. It helps tune up your Mac so it runs at maximum speed. Plus, it organizes disk space, showing you large hidden folders, meaning you can free up tons of space on your on your Mac so you don't run into those pesky disk is full issues that, that sometimes you run into, especially on notebooks. It's a real pain. Clean My Mac X also fights Mac-specific malware and adware, protecting your computer, and it prevents a Mac from cluttering, lagging, and slowing down. Clean My Mac X is notarized by Apple and is available in the Mac App Store, so it's been checked for security. And it really stands out in design. Last year, it was honored with the Red Dot Award, a UX Design Award, and has become a Webby Award nominee this year. Despite the war in MacPaw's home country of Ukraine, the team has worked hard to make sure there are no disruptions in the support and development of Clean My Mac X. The product is stable, safe, and secure. Get Clean My Mac X today with 5% off at macpaw.app/connected. That discount is only valid for 2 weeks, so go check it out. macpaw.app/connected for 5% off. Our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support of the show and Relay FM. 
One password eight is now available for iOS. What did it eat? Actually, nothing, which is kind of interesting. What it didn't eat was one password seven. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's good. I wasn't setting you up, but I'm glad you took it. Because one password seven is still on the App Store. One password eight is its own app, and I find that strange to start with. I haven't looked into this. I should have. No, I just said it. Like, I don't know if they've said why they're doing this. I mean, I can imagine why, because it's in a different direction, and maybe they don't want to deal with like people getting upset about a forced uh, update. You know, like if it's all different, it yeah. works different, looks different. But I don't know what their plan is for moving people over. So seven, seven also still supports some syncing options that they're not using moving forward. Okay. Okay. And so they did this on the Mac as well. Eight is a separate skew than seven because some people are still using those older sync methods That's cool. and, and aren't ready to move. I mean, I expect at some point then there's going to be one password and one password classic or something. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like they're going to drop the numbers at some point. I don't know when the numbers need to be there. I think this is the best way to go about it, even if it means yes. that the, the adoption of the new version is slower. I mean... One password on the eight, one password eight on the Mac in particular came with a lot of uh, a lot of uh, conversation about it being Electron and being so different. Oh, yeah. And I think they learned from that. And uh, and I'll say this: I mean, I, uh, one password eight. I was on the beta for a long time. The final version, there are some some bugs in it in terms of layout and UI stuff, which we'll get to in a second. But overall, I really like it. And I, I really on like... On the phone, you mean? On the phone, yeah. Okay. It's fine oh, on the Mac. Sorry, I just wanted to check. I, I wasn't sure which one you meant. Yeah, sorry. It's fine on the Mac. But on the phone, I really like it, uh, mainly for the, the customization. So yeah, on the sort of main screen of the app, you can hide and add sections and you can rearrange them. So they have uh, something that's really cool called pinned fields. So it's just like the small UI at the top for anything you pin. And so you can pin like your Twitter password and it just shows up as a little item at the top and you tap on it and copy it. Um, oh. That's really cool. I, I would imagine if you have like a two-factor authentication number you need often or something, you know, but you can basically pin anything from any entry up there at the, uh, at the top, which is really cool. And then you have, you know, favorites, which has been part of 1Password forever. But then you have some smart lists. So recently created, recently used, recently modified, and frequently used. And I've got a couple of these turned on because, you know, very often I will change a password or a detail or create something new, and then I'll need it on my phone. Like maybe I'm setting it up on the Mac for some new app I'm trying, and then I need mm -hmm. it on the phone. Like having those there with quick access is actually pretty cool. And I think this customizable main screen uh, is a great addition to this app. I'm, I'm really, I'm really digging that direction. The frequent recent thing is that's smart. Cause I set up a bunch of favorites once upon a time and then stopped needing that or like the list change and I was lazy and didn't change it. And so, like, the favorites part for me is kind of a bit, like, old and busted. And it's just, like, a bunch of incomplete stuff in here that I also don't really use because I just tend to search for things. Mm -hmm. But this is just, like, a great way to, to surface stuff. I need you to tell me how I pin things. Yeah, so, so like, you know, find a login or something. Uh -huh. And then you long press on some part of it. Pin to home. So, like, okay. so I'm looking at, like, my Apple ID password. 
and then there's a pin to home, and then it will show up there. Oh. So one-time passwords is where this is best. I think so. Because just pinning a password seems... I mean, I guess you could do it. I'm going to think about what I'm... Yeah, if it's, if it's something you need often, but I, I think it's pretty, pretty I clever. I would mind something like this on the Mac. And, and you can set it where if you tap on the pinned item, it copies, or you can set it where it shows it in large type. So if, say that you have a oh. password you enter manually a bunch. You could have it on there and tap it to get it in large type so you can type it on your, your other device. It's, it's, it's well thought through, and yeah. it's all using Swift UI. And, and the, some of the visual weirdness I've seen, I think, is just because it's Swift UI. It's using Rust for the back end like they do on the the Mac and Windows and Android, but uh, Swift UI as the UI choice. And I find that interesting because the Mac, they went with Electron, and I, I, I don't know the reason why they split that. It, it feels like that those decisions were not made at the same time. I don't know that. I find the, the using Swift UI for it is just really interesting because it is a big complicated app, and it does give it a, a nice modern look, but obviously different from where they went on the desktop. Yeah, the thing that I am struck by, which is a surprise to me, is now 1Password on the phone and the Mac look more different than they have ever looked, yeah. <laughs> which is, that was not what I was expecting. Like, I, I, And now I'm surprised that there is functionality in the iPhone version that's not in the Mac version. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess there are some similarities, but they're also different, if that makes sense, which I find yeah. peculiar. Uh, that wasn't what I was expecting. Like, I can't customize all the stuff here on the Mac app like I can on the phone, mm -hmm. right? Like I don't got any of those features, which is odd. So, yeah, I've noticed some buggy things. Like, we're talking about that customization field. Like, when you go to the home screen and you customize and there are, like, these little drag things, they work for me, like, the actual dragon works for me, like, 10% of the time where I try and drag something. Like, most of the time, it, it just doesn't uh, just doesn't end up doing the dragging. What I will say, though, this is the least Swift UI looking Swift UI app that I've used. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't look like other apps. And I'm, I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just I feel like a lot of apps that I've used in Swift UI, I maybe would be able to tell, but this one not. And what that maybe tells me is I'm using loads of Swift UI apps and I don't even know about <laughs> it. Um, because you can get... Um, I think what it is is what one of Swift UI's big benefits, right, is that you can get up and going pretty quickly. And so I think a lot of developers that where maybe they just want to get up and going from a design perspective, they use a lot more system control. Yeah. And clearly you don't need to use a lot of system control. Because I guess similarly, actually now I'm saying it, WidgetSmith doesn't look like any other app that I use either. And I know that Dave's using SwiftUI for that. So I guess there is stuff that you can do here which isn't necessarily just using the out-of-the-box stuff. Right. Um, I'm upset that they have, do not offer a dark mode icon. It's oh, no. a silver icon. I was using the dark icon, and then I just have a silver icon. And I would like a dark icon back, please. Because mm -hmm. now the icon on my home screen has changed, and I don't want that to happen. That's yeah. happened. Bring it back, 1Password. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say overall I'm happy with this. Because I would say for me, like, the Mac app has been great. Like, 1Password 8 on the Mac, it's been great. I don't have any problems with it. No, I, I mean, it, I ran the beta of that too, and they made a lot of progress. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, I've said this before on this show and on MPU, uh, where 1Password is a, a current sponsor, but 
uh, that doesn't make any difference to me in terms of the way we cover it. In in terms of like the religious fight over Electron on the Mac, if it's good or bad for the platform, I just find uninteresting. Like if these technical decisions work well for the companies and it means that one password gets updates everywhere more quickly and it still works with all my browsers and it still has, you know, the the little menu bar app. And now they even do things like the like one of my favorite things on the Mac is the full like basically fill a password anywhere where it like screen reads and figures out what the fields are. I love that thing. And it is awesome to log into something like the Mac App Store where I feel like I'm logged out every three days to just use one password there without copying and pasting. And so I've got no problems with these directions because the feature set continues to get better. And I like the idea of that feature. Mm-hmm. My problem is it does not work 100% of the time. Yeah, it's it's not flawless for sure. And so because of that, I don't use it. Because I never know if I'm like going to try and do the thing and then it doesn't work and then I just have to copy the password anyway. That's fair. So I just I just bring up the little the new little mini thing, which I actually quite like. You know, I just press like command and backslash and it just pops it up. And then you can navigate that with the keyboard really easily. So I just do that. So that's, uh, yeah, what's one password eight? I'm digging it on the, the phone. I'd like to see some of the customization come to the Mac. I think that'd be really cool, especially the pinned things. That is super awesome. <laughs> I've unified the back end, split the front end, and <laughs> in the same position again. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I bet these features end up in the in the desktop app at some point. I hope so. Amazon is buying iRobot yeah. for $1.7 billion. Look, Jeff Bezos needs a lot of Roombas for that that big house of his. Yeah, iRobot make Roomba and the Mop one. I forget the name of um, because Mop Mopbot Mopbot. We'll call it Mopbot. I don't think it's called that. Uh, we can find out the answer though. These things are available to us. They're called the Brava. Brava. I don't know why it's not just called the Roomba Mop. Like I don't know why they needed a second brand. Uh, they make handheld vacuums. I did not know that. Every time I see the iRobot branding, I'm like, wait, is that the Roomba company? It's just, they have air purifiers now. It is wild to me that they kept that name going mm-hmm. as long as they did. Well, robot. they leaned into it. Right, that they didn't just rebrand the company to, to just Roomba. Yeah, but it's like the iRobot OS is like the software they built for them. They've they've gone but all nobody, in. But nobody knows the brand, right? No, People I just think about Roomba the movie. Is. Yeah, and... It's also a book, right? It's yeah. Books. It's a movie's based on a book. Um, so yeah, Amazon's buying them for $1.7 billion. The CEO is going to stay on uh, and run the company. So it's going to be, I expect, will we'll just be called iRobot or maybe Amazon make them change the name to Roomba. But same as Ring, same as Eero. These are companies that have continued to run somewhat independently or you know but i'm sure like uh like Eero, you'll be able to sign in with your uh, amazon account at some point which just makes sense this is a time uh people keep saying i uh, just listened to ben thompson said this today uh this is the time for acquisitions because stock prices are down so if you're a company with cash you can just buy up the companies you've had your eye on for a while uh and so that's happening here's my hope for this my hope is the Roombas get cheaper now because Roombas are expensive. Like I'm always surprised 
you know, how expensive the top of the line Roombas are. They are expensive products. My hope now is that with Amazon, they might drive the prices down a bit because this, that's Amazon's thing. They sell their own hardware stuff at really cheaply, right? Like right. compare it compared to other products of that class. The Echoes are are cheap products. Yes, yeah. yeah, they're they're subsidizing it with everything else they do, right? And people point out in the Discord that like Eros is, but Eros weren't very expensive for their product class. Roombas are, are expensive products. Mm-hmm. So I would hope that that would be the case. But also, I'm, I'm a, like I think like anybody that gets a Roomba, I I love Roomba. Yep. Like the Me products too. are fantastic, and now this means that the company won't go out of business, which I'm which I'm really happy about, right? Because who knows, <laughs> right? And now they're less likely to go out of business because now Amazon has to go out of business, and if Amazon goes out of business, we've got a lot more problems. Yeah, the internet doesn't work anymore. Then our robots not working. Yeah, exactly. So I'm pretty I'm pretty jazzed about it to be honest. The CEO sticking around is is uh very similar to how other things have gone. So when they bought Eero, which was rumored to be like ninety eight million dollars, they paid basically nothing for Eero. But Eero was apparently kind of in bad financial uh, straits at the, at the time. Uh, their CEO and most of their leadership team stayed on. And when they bought Ring for a similar amount of money to, to them buying iRobot, the um, CEO and leadership stuck around. This seems to be how Amazon likes doing this, where like these companies, from what I've heard of, of interviews of the Eero guy, whose name escapes me, they basically still operate like companies. You know, they're within Amazon and then they can can work and, and navigate the Amazon infrastructure, but they're still doing their own thing, their own product development. And and honestly, I think that that has worked pretty well for Amazon, especially when you contrast it to like what happened with uh, Google and Nest, right? Where like Nest yes. was independent within Google and then it was an alphabet and they folded it in and everybody left and it was like, they've run into the ground. And then they, they, they unfolded it again and then did nothing with it. <laughs> Right, because it's its own brand again, isn't it? Nest by Google. I think, I think, I think so. But it's um, it's interesting, you know. And there's a lot of reasons you know Amazon would would want to do this. I think. I mean, it's it's uh, another s- kind of smart home type business, and they can integrate it with their assistant and everything. There's already a skill for the Echo line where you can you know ask the tube to to run your vacuum, but. There's obviously uh, concerns here from some people about what does this mean from like a privacy perspective because Roombas, at least the, the like the new you know sort of higher end ones. Mine's a couple years old now, but it was like the nicest one uh, when it was mm-hmm. for sale new. You know, it it does map my house, and it if you go in the app, like I mean, the map kind of looks like it was drawn by a four year old, but like it it kind of gets you know what my house looks like. You know, quite frankly, like I don't see like what's Amazon going to do with that compared to what they already know about me in terms of purchasing and my purchasing at Whole Foods. And, yeah, you know, and I mean, again, like I'm a guy with ring cameras and an Eero system, like I'm fine with Amazon products in my household. If you're not and that's where you've drawn your line, that's fine. I will ask. I will ask. The, I will just ask the question flatly. You'll be nice. What do you think Amazon want the layout of your home for? What do you think they're going to yeah, do? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's yeah. Amazon don't care about the shape of your living room. You give them everything already. You buy from them. 
Yeah. Right? That's all they want. They just want to know what products you buy. They don't they don't want to know what dust is under your sofa. Like they don't care about that. <laughs> like you know, and I know that they do the ring thing with uh police, but like that's a different thing, right? I'm not talking about that's that. That's bad news, right? And and ring lacked into in encryption and some other like Ring's been problematic, um, and I, I went into the ecosystem knowing all that. And you can turn, you can change all your settings to make make that basically better. And mm-hmm. you know, if if I, I don't know how much the um, how much the Roomba can see, right, in terms of like its sensors or like a camera, and, and I get that. Right, and everyone has to make their own decisions. Every technology company gives information to police when compelled to, like. None of them don't do that. Yeah, they well, it's it. the law. <laughs> yes. So, like, maybe Ring do it more than others. Like, sure. But you cannot buy technology assuming that that won't happen to you. It yeah. can all happen to you. It might be different, the information that they give. But, like, is your security camera less or more uh, risky for you than your iMessages? Because if you use iCloud backup, backup, then your iMessage information can be given to the police. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it, there is no... There, there are ways to protect you from all of this stuff, but then you can't benefit from a lot of the things that you would like to benefit from, like backing up your phone, <laughs> right? right? Good luck backing up your phone without iCloud. So, like, I get... Like, it is healthy to be skeptical, but, like, just to naturally assume that every company or, like every company that's not Apple is going to give your information away to the government, like Apple do it as well. So let's just put all of our cards on the table here. Yeah, I think that's well said. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be taping over the <laughs> the sensors on my room, but I'm going to continue to use it. You know, for me, it's like where my line sort of fell in this is that, I mean, we use HomePods in the house mostly because... I switch everything to home kit works a little bit better. And the, and the home pod, like the one big home pod I've left that's still alive is in the kitchen and it sounds incredible. And we listen to a lot of music on it. You know, for me, like I wouldn't put one of these, one of these smart home things with a camera, like in the bedroom, right? Like my wife would not want Mm -hmm. that. I don't want that. So I would not have like an echo show. I would not have that in the bedroom, but my iPhone sits on my nightstand and it's got four cameras on it. Right? Like, so there's, None of these lines are perfect, and it's really about kind of wherever you fall and and how you think about these things. For me, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about iRobot being run to the ground. Like Amazon, I think has done a pretty good job with these other purchases. There are there have been hiccups, like no doubt. But if the if the alternative was them going away or being bought by Google, which has a bad history of managing these companies, like I'm pretty okay with this as a as a long time Roomba customer. As I said before, if it keeps Roomba around and now maybe does something about trying to make things cheaper and or integrate with other products that I own in a better Mm -hmm. way, like, I'm into it personally. This episode of Connected is made possible by Bombas. I'm wearing some Bombas socks right now. They're super comfortable. They're soft. They have a cozy feel. Uh, But they're also great for working out because they're made with this, like, sweat, sweat wicking yarn. So... If I go out for a walk or a run or a bike ride, I'm comfortable with that too. Bombas has this really cool mission to make the most comfortable clothes ever, and they match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy something from Bombas, you're also giving to someone in need. 
Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, which I really appreciate. I hate tags that poke you, it scratch you, and everything is cozy. Your feet stay cool in their socks when the rest of you works up a sweat, and their no-show socks are designed for comfort while being engineered to never fall down so you can let your ankles be free. Their t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weight so they hang just right. And Bombas underwear is breathable, fits well, and has a barely there feel. My entire sock drawer is Bombas. I've had them for years. I love how well they hold up over time. We've all had socks that, you know, after after a year they start falling apart or they start ooching down. And my Bombas have held up super well. I love them. I wear them every single day. Socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters. And that's why Bombas donates one of them for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. I absolutely love that. So you can get 20% off your first purchase. Go to bombas.com slash connected. That's B-O-M-B-A-S, bombas.com slash connected for 20% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Bombas for their support of the show and Relay FM. I've got a camera I want to talk to you about, Mike. Okay. Is it a ring? Is it, yeah. is it a I got ring a camera? And, and I put a ring camera on top of it and it just drives around. What? Oh, that's double trouble, baby. Double you trouble. Watch out. Yeah. There's a button that goes right to the Department of Justice. <laughs> They've had a busy week. Mm-hmm. I picked up an Opal C1. Okay. This has been, you know around uh some tech youtubers have talked about it it's effectively i mean it's it's a chunky webcam and it has a big old sony sensor a 4k sensor that my understanding is is very similar to what's in something like the like the rx100 line it's not that it's not a sensor that's that big i don't think but it is sort of similar incredible low light um a really fast f1.8 lens it's a very nice webcam, as it should be for $300, but mm. uh, you can reserve and get in line, and I got my invite to purchase one a couple of weeks ago, and I did, and now I'm here to report on it. So I had an invite come through a couple of weeks ago as well, and I decided not to do it. Okay. Because it's $300, and I thought to myself, I don't want it for $300. Yeah. Now, I will say, at the time, I didn't need a webcam. Mm-hmm. Well, now I've got the MacBook Pro plugged into an LG display. Yeah. And I don't have a webcam. (laughs) So now if I ever need to do video while I've got my podcast gear, I need to take things apart, which is like, that's fine. Like I can just go take my Brio from my PC and plug it in. It will be easy enough to do. Mm -hmm. But like, because I just was got the studio display so i was like well i don't need the camera anymore because i have the imac but now i don't have that right uh, but i don't th- i think i'm going to take that 300 dollars and i'm going to put it into a pot to save up for another studio display mm-hmm. for my recording desk yeah because i have a 32 inch lg in front of me right now which is too big yeah, it's, <laughs> it's too ridiculous. big uh but i'm just reusing the monitor that i had been using previously for my other thing and Ah, good point from Pastor Boy. Continuity camera was the other thing I wanted to try out. I don't, I don't, I, I'm not going to bother getting camo, or I'm not going to go into that 
doing that right now because continuity cameras just around the corner at this point. Um, and I have a webcam here at the studio that I use for when I stream. Um, but yeah, I am still intrigued though. I watched uh, a friend of the show, David Sparks, did a video about one, which I assume maybe have been another reason what pushed you to it. He seemed pretty jazzed about it. Yeah, it's... It's pretty sweet. So I've I was using the LG Brio, which is a 4K, and I had yeah. the version with a little magnetic mount for the Pro Display. Mm-hmm. This is definitely better than that camera, but I'm not sure it's worth $300 unless you make your living on <laughs> doing a bunch of stuff with your webcam. Right? Mm-hmm. It has uh, you know physical features. It, it is USB-C, which is really nice, and it comes with a a little mount with little legs, so you can kind of you know, make it squeeze the top of your display and it's got to pivot so you can angle it down because, you know, ergonomically the top of your screen should be above your eye line and then it's sort of looking at the top of your head so you can you can angle it down. And it has a magnetic lens cover uh, and an LED when it's active. So you know uh, when it's active and you can actually put a physical lens cap over it when you're not using it. And it's super smart. So if you take the lens cap off, the camera wakes up. If you put it on, the camera goes to sleep. But on the software side, it's a little bit weird. They have a a Mac menu bar app that runs all the time. And it gives you control over what the camera's doing. And so you have uh, a bunch of camera settings. So you can lock the focus. You can record just within their app. If you just need to do like a little, little something, you can change the bokeh. So you can like really kind of blow out the background. Again, it goes down to, uh, the, the bokeh goes down to F 0.7. You can add a logo, you can zoom as face lock, which is like center stage where it sort of follows your head around, which is kind of funny. Um, and there's also some audio settings because it does have microphones and the microphones do sound, uh, really good. It's the best sounding webcam I've ever had, but you got to have that Mac app. It does install a system extension, so you've got to go into system settings or uh, system preferences and allow that, which is fine. Do you got to do the rebooting? No, that only Audio Hijack's the only one that has to do that that I've ever come across. Is that because it's the first time? It's the first time, right? Because you have to go in and say reduce system security, and then they'll all be fine after that. I think maybe I didn't have to reboot or anything. Software's fine. I mean, you know, it's like another thing in my menu bar, but I have a million things in my menu bar, so it's fine. And you have a 400-inch wide display. 32 inches, yeah. Okay. Same as you. I love how a minute ago I said 32 was too big, and you agreed with me. I have a much bigger desk than you do, and I don't have a second monitor next to it like you do. That's true. Well, this desk is is small. I have, and, and beautiful. I have desk. That's a big desk. Yeah, it's covered in your face. This this is really is more your desk than mine. You can you could use this as a stand, like a more standalone thing. Like it doesn't have to be clipped to the top of your display. The bottom has a quarter twenty on it, so you can screw it onto a plate to put on a tripod or something. Hmm. And uh, it does get warm after a little bit, which is hmm. kind of weird. But hmm. even in like 1080 mode, which I have mine in because. Zoom and some of their applications sort of balk if you if you have it set to the full 4K, but it's really nice. No one needs a $300 webcam, including me, but if you, you know, say that you want to start streaming or something, like if it was between this or like something like an RX100 or something, and then you're going to like pipe it into your computer, 
I think I would look at this first just because it has a lot of stuff in software and is simpler to manage than like a, you know, setting up a, a quote unquote real camera as your webcam. Did you use it to take your new fo- profile photo? No, that was with a, my Sony camera. Okay. Uh, my big one. Some people had autofocus issues. Okay. Mine seems okay. You know, maybe that's uh maybe that's a software thing. The software is definitely like in beta. And so it says beta on it. Like it's, it, I mean, it's not even widely available to purchase. Like this is a very young new product. So uh, I have not had the autofocus issues, but if you do, my hope is that they could fix that in, in the software side. Yeah. I think some of the invite stuff is hype. Oh yeah. But I do think that it can come back to bite you because if I would have just been able to give them my money, mm-hmm. I would have one of these. It's a good way to hide, uh, I don't know if they're doing this, but it's a good way to hide supply chain issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, Sign up for an invite to buy it. We're making them as fast as we can. I mean, that might have been part of the reason that they did it, because this did this was a post-pandemic uh, product. Like, yeah, the pandemic changed what people wanted from their cameras. Right. People were upset with their laptop cameras, and so this company sprang up and took a lot of investment from a lot of... Uh, interesting people and developed a thing it's it's the same i don't I, I know you mentioned it's a sony thing is it true that this is the same sensor that's in the pixel phones i heard that once but i don't know if that's true oh that may have been what i was thinking when i said the rx100 i think it may be i don't i think it's a sony le- sensor but it's, it was used in the google pixel yeah i believe like it's actually a smartphone sensor, which surprised me. Yes, the the Verge, the Verge in their review, which I'll put in the show notes, says that it is the same sensor that was in the first Pixel. Because that was one of the, when I found that out, that actually turned me off. It the way this thing looks makes it look like it's got like some serious hardware in it, you know. But yeah. but really, it is just a smartphone, and I already have one of those. Mm-hmm. That was and that this is these were like some of the things that led to me thinking that when my time came around, I was like, no, I'm good. And like now with continuity camera, um, now I'm like, no, I'm really good. Like I'm gonna have a, I'm I'm feel pretty confident that the iPhone video camera will produce better image quality probably than this will. Yeah, it, it's it's not as good as the iPhone, but it's definitely the best non-real camera i've ever hooked up to my to my computer um sure it's like the best webcam you can get yeah but most people including me don't actually (laughs) don't actually need it and uh but i think it's interesting i mean mainly because of what you said right this came out of the the world that we were all thrust into in 2020 like and it was really hard to buy a webcam like i remember Mm -hmm. my brother you know like everyone else i was working from home all of a sudden I was looking for a webcam and there just weren't any and I had an extra so I just I gave him uh gave him an old uh LG one that I had or somebody I don't know but it, it's um this is a meeting you know the need that people have and it's taken them uh, a couple of years to get it out like like you would imagine anything else that's hardware and software but it is really impressive is it is it worth it for most people again no but if you have this need I think pretty easily it's the the nicest best thing on the market for it and it does look cool it does look cool. i guess the, the the flexibility is good right like and i have been a person who struggled with flexibility 
in cameras, right? Like I've been moaning about this for months about not being able to change the refresh rate. Can you do that here? Like 50 or 60 hertz, can you do that? Or does it have anti-flickering options in their software? I don't see anything in here about the refresh rate, but I would I would assume it was okay with that. Sometimes it's just called anti-flickering or like that, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't see anything about okay. that either. Um, there are some filters you can apply if you want to, like highlights and shadows and stuff. Uh, you can manually set a bunch of stuff like white balance and exposure. I have all that to be automatic. Um, and there's also gesture control. So you can like do a peace sign and the video toggles on and off. Or Yeah, I've seen that. That's draw cool. on the video. Like that's all fine, but mostly kind of... Uh, kind of silly i think i don't know how useful that is in real life oh like you can put your logo on it too or you can like put a little logo yeah. on there update if you want to. it's called anti-banding and there's three settings uh 50 hertz 60 hertz and auto there you go so this See, would that's this would work big for you tick for me but the iphone camera doesn't do it yeah but then you're like taking your phone out and like putting in a mount like it is but there's I something was, to be said about having something that's dedicated. Agree with you. And also as a pop socket user, I don't even know if any of these mounts will work for me. So like yeah. that might be like a whole thing that I need to work out later on. But I could probably just use a glyph from Studio Neat. But I don't very frequently need a webcam where I record podcasts. Like that's the only place for me where just cause I, of your where setup. I, just because of because I would usually take video calls in front of the studio display, which does now work properly. I don't know why. Uh, my studio sometimes I go through these phases well, where sometimes yeah. the studio display will accurately change to the what I needed to, so it stops banding or flickering. But sometimes it doesn't. Well, they had an update for it just last week. Maybe that took care of it. I haven't run that update yet. Mm. So I'm confident that that update will will break it because that that's happened before in the past. So. Probably. So that's uh, yeah, that's the the Opal C1. It's really expensive, but really nice. Thanks so many things. If you want to find links to stuff we spoke about, head on over to the website, relay.fm slash connected slash 410. Numbers are getting big. Mm-hmm. You can, uh, from that page, you can send us feedback or follow up. There's an email link there. There's also buttons at the top of the page to join and get Connected Pro, which is a longer ad-free version of the show each and every week. You can find us all on Twitter. You can find Mike there is I-M-Y-K-E. And Mike hosts a bunch of stuff here on uh, Relay FM. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH, and I write over at 512pixels.net. Federico's the big birthday boy today. So again, go over to Twitter and send him a tweet using your fourth most used emoji. We've already gotten a text from him asking what's going on. So thank you, live listeners. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thank you for helping us out with that. And uh, he'll be back next week. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sourcegraph, Clean My Mac X, and Bombus. And until next time, Mike, say goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, y'all.